Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 12. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you, to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children and their children after them, may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Thank you so much, Kristen. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, uh, as you might know, we've been on a series called Telos. It's a Greek word which, which means object or aim. And the whole point of this sermon series, is, especially as we've started this new year, is we want to kind of redirect what find out, discover real, truly what is our aim, what is our object, what is the thing that keeps us late at night, right? Keep us awake at night. What is the thing that we dream about? And we, as we've looked in the last three uh, sermons, we looked at the temptations of Jesus, and we saw that uh, the devil who was tempting Jesus was trying to misdirect him to find his identity in what he does, find his identity in power. Finding, finding his identity and in, in, uh, in what people thought about him. And we looked at that, and now we want to construct, kind of reconstruct, what truly is our aim. It's not power. It's not, it's not uh, our jobs or our vocation. It's not what people think of us. What is it then? And as we've read, we've read uh, thank you, Kristen, for reading Deuteronomy. It's a, a very famous passage in, uh, in the Bible, Deuteronomy is one of those passages that is rich with theological, um, uh, uh, just, just rich <laughs> with uh, whatever I want to say, theological something. I don't even know what I'm trying to say, but you know what I mean. Um, and it's actually one of those verses that has inspired many um, other books that we see in the Bible, from Samuel to Hosea to Jeremiah, and even in the Gospels as well. Because in, in the, in, in verse, there are verses in Deuteronomy that Jesus actually quotes against the devil who came to tempt him. Jesus quotes this. But then there is this confrontation that Christ had with the Pharisees in Matthew 22. And they asked him, which is the greatest commandment? And he quoted, quoted actually what we just read. To love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Do you know that that 
thing, that very uh, passage he quoted was actually part of the Shema. It's a prayer that has been prayed for thousands of years by the Israelites, by our Jewish brothers and sisters. And it's a way for them to remember and honor God. The Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord is God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. It was a way to be reminded that God is in control and that God deserves our honor and our praise. So as we um, look in this, and, and, and as I, I continue this sermon, um, there are two things I want to talk about. Is one, why is the Shema important for us? Meaning, why should we remember God? Why is it important, excuse me, for us to remember God? And secondly, what does it look like? How does it look like? For us to remember God. Um, First thing, why should we remember God? One, because of who he is. Um, This passage actually begins with this assumption that God not only exists, but he is in fact possessive of his people. You know, he says, the Lord, your God, you don't have a choice in this matter. The Lord, your God. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, that might sound jarring. That might sound maybe even irrelevant to you. But scripture, even for us as in our Christian faith, we believe that God created the earth, the universe, this whole world, created us, even ourselves, human beings, in his image. So we boldly proclaim the Lord, our God. It's interesting because you see um, in culture today, right, you see a lot of people just use God for whatever they, 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 they like to say. Um, uh, I'm sure you've seen some artists who will come up after they're receiving an award and they go up to the stage and say, I just want to thank God, the big man upstairs, you know? And you're like, who's that? Who's the big man upstairs? I don't know who that is. They say that, but then... If you listen to their lyrics, they're thanking God for allowing them to, you know, write some raunchy lyrics. And then the next minute, thank God, thank the big man upstairs for letting me write those those songs. That doesn't make sense. Or you see politicians, right, after every speech, God bless America. They boldly proclaim that. A lot of them are not even Christians, but they say it because why? They're trying to appease some crowd, right? Or you've seen athletes after they win, you know, or the score a point or, you know, win a race, they point up to the sky, and half of us don't even know what they're pointing on. It's just like, oh, thank, yeah, that person. Who's that? So there's this, all these preconceived, preconceived notions about God. Honestly, a lot of it is just superstitious. Right? We just, God is out to bless me. God is out to, uh, God is only for America, right? That's, that's God's country. 
We have all these preconceived notions about God as if, as if we can claim ownership of God. But what we see here, especially when he said in that Shema, the Lord is one, the Lord is your God. What is he trying to say to us? What is Moses trying to say to us through the scripture? saying this, that the Lord is unique. There is no one like him. There is no one besides him. The Lord God is unique. Um, one, one scholar puts it this way. He says, one God, when, when he spoke, there is no other one to contradict him. When he promised, there is no other to revoke that promise. When he warned, there is no other to provide refuge. This is our God. There is none like him. And Moses is declaring that. Like, we remember God because he is unique. He stands alone, strong, above all every other gods in our world. Because of who he is. And the last couple of sermons, Devlin has actually, there was a sermon, Job's 38. He read that out. Um, he memorized that verse. I, remember, uh, I think I listened to it. I was in here January um, first Sunday of this month. And he talked about God being sovereign, God being in control of every aspect of our life, even when it doesn't feel like he's in control. God is in control. So we remember God. Because of who he is. Because of how unique he is. Second, we remember God because of what he has done. Moses in this book um, uh, so many times alludes to this. What God has done. Remember God because of what he's done for you. Because of he, he took you out of Egypt. And that's kind of the story of the Israelites at this point. They were, this was Moses' farewell address to them. And they were about to transition into kind of a new territory. They were about to enter uh, the land of Canaan. And Moses gives them this farewell address saying, Remember God because of what he has done. Remember what he has done for you in the past. You were slaves in Egypt. You were in bondage. And God delivered you out of that bondage. Not in not even in an ordinary way, in a way that was extravagant, in a way that actually uh, uh, demeaned and diminished the Egyptian army, the Egyptian people. In that, in that very scene, we see God deliver the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. And he delivered them into what? Freedom. Out of slavery into freedom. So remember God because of what he's done. It's interesting. I know even growing up as a Christian, I've always wondered to myself, these Israelites have seen something quite miraculous, right? Something stunning. Red Seas, if you read in Exodus, Red Sea, says the Red Sea parted. It talked about the, the plagues that the, Egyptian, uh, the Egyptians experienced because of God talked about all these things, all these miracles God did for them. And yet, Moses had to remind them, remember him. Why? How is it possible to forget such a monumental event, 
such a miraculous event? How is it possible for them to forget what God had done for them? I think that's also true for so many of us, including myself. That we're so prone to forget. We're so prone to forget when we look back, you know, five years, ten years before in the past. Maybe something you may have experienced. You got your first job and you were so grateful for it. You were so thankful, right? Or you got a scholarship to school. Or you got married. Or you, you know, whatever, you broke up with a boyfriend or a girlfriend because it was a terrible relationship. And you're like, thank God. I'm out of this. (laughs) Whatever it is. But then, rewind, five years later, we forget. Why? Well, I give two reasons. Well, it's it's normal. It's just the human condition. We it's just normal to forget. Right? That's why we have alarms. (laughs) That's why we have reminders. That's why we remind ourselves to turn off the lights and to set an alarm. We have all these reminders to tell us, to remind us of things we need to do in the, past, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the future. Right? It's just normal for us to forget. If you know me, if you probably, there, there's so many people who, like, I would, um, you know, let's invite them over to my house, and I would always forget to tell Caitlin, my wife. And... Um, we're in a conversation, and someone will tell, tell her, oh, I can't wait to come over. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I didn't tell her. And Caitlin is looking, like, just confused. Oh, like, what, what has happened several times? Because, I, I, yeah, I lose my mind sometimes. You probably do that. We're, just, we're all prone to forget. It's a normal human condition. Again, we have all these tools available for us to help us remember, to help us keep us in schedule. So, um, um, yeah, don't feel guilty. It's okay. But I think there is something else deeper at play here as well besides this. And Moses alludes to this in, in uh, Deuteronomy 6, verse 10. This is what he says. He says, When the Lord bring God, your God brings you into a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, with houses, with all kinds of good things you did not provide, the wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and when you are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget. Be careful that you do not forget. I think that speaks to so many of us, speaks to me, Right? Living, especially living in this crazy city with, well, with the amount of wealth that we can amass for ourselves, the amount of food that we can eat, the vineyards, he said. I, I can think of all the wines and all the monthly wine clubs we're all part of that we have <laughs> coming to our houses, right? We have all these good things available to us, and when we are satisfied, what tends to happen is we forget. We forget. Moses here is reminding us, is hinting us, hinting to us that in our flourishing, in our successes, 
as we are doing well in our jobs and making and building our clientele and all the good things that are happening, do not forget. You know what's fascinating about this? He says this, do not forget. But if you turn to, I think, Deuteronomy 30, he actually says this, you will forget. It's kind of ironic. I mean, why would he tell me not to forget if he says I'm going to forget? Because he knows that we are prone to forget. And it's beautiful because I think moments like this where, where we come together in, in our services, where we meet in our hope groups, those are supposed to be anchor points and reminders not to forget what God has done for us. Because, you know, in our world, we can get sucked in. We, we can get easily distracted in our jobs and the time it takes and all the things we have to do. We can easily get distracted. I think about the technological advancement that we are all experiencing with with social media, with our phones, and all the mind-numbing things that are available to us now. We are prone to forget God. Alan Noble wrote this book, um, uh, Disruptive Witness in a Distracted Age, and he talks about this. He Tells the story of him, you know, just waking up in the morning. The first thing he does is, you know, his alarm clock is on his phone and turns it off. But then he can go to Twitter and Facebook and scroll. And, you know, again, that's just mind-numbing, just easy distraction. You know, that's, he has his kids. he got to wake them up. While he's waking them up, he's still looking at his phone and scrolling while he's washing the dishes. He's watching Netflix, right? We've become uh, uh, professional multitaskers, right? We believe we can do everything all at once because it's all available to us. If you do that, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. It's okay. (laughs) um, But yeah, we've mind-numbing things that are available for us to do. It talks about once being even being in an elevator and the the silence, the 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 deafening silence that he has to even think of. himself and think about and the minute he starts thinking oh gosh i gotta go to my phone right i gotta scroll next distraction that's available to me we have all these things available to us and not saying they're all bad things they're not but they're there and they've become easily those things that can actually distract us not only from ourselves from our families, but even from God. The worldly distractions are there. They are available for us and that we can now find ourselves forgetful of what God has done in our lives, forgetful of what God is doing in our lives even presently. So then how, how can we remember? If this is true, how should we remember? I think it says it right there. It talks about love. Love. And it sounds simple, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Some of us who are Christians here, you've probably heard that so many times that it... It, yeah, it doesn't, it's not even clear anymore. 
love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. See, the thing about love that we often forget is that love is not, for us, we, we, love is conditional, right? It's conditional on, especially if you're married here, it's like, if my spouse washed the dishes, then I will love her or him. For us, love is conditional. It's based on what I can get from you. But here, God is telling us is actually different. Love is sacrificial. Love is sacrificing your comforts. For some of you, it's sacrificing your phones. Sacrificing your time. Sacrificing your money. You know, in the last couple of months, we've had, I think, in our church, we had maybe about five babies that were born. And I've visited three, I think. And um, it's, been, it's been amazing and scary at the same time because I'm like, oh, am I ready for this? But while I'm there and I see the babies, I'm like, these are the most beautiful human beings in the world. It's vulnerable. I'm like, this is beautiful. And then when I look at the parents, I'm like, you guys are the most um, exhausted people I've ever seen in the world. (laughs) You guys look disheveled, tired, bloodshed eyes, hairs all over the place. I'm like, oh my gosh. And they're telling me their stories, right? Two hours feeding the baby. I think (laughs) Daniel here in the back, he told a story of waking up and just hugging his pillow because he thought that was the baby. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that's what it takes to take care of a baby. That's love. That's a sacrifice. Sacrificing your sleep, your precious sleep that you need. Right? That's love. Sacrificing your time. Sacrificing your resources. That's what love is. And that's what God is inviting us to. That our love for him is actually sacrificial. It requires us losing some things. It requires us actually maybe even losing a relationship. It requires us giving up of our time, our talent, and our treasure. When he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your strength. What is he saying? Love the Lord your God with all of your being. Everything you've got. And even when he says, love the Lord with all your strength. He's not even talking about physical strength. He's just emphasizing it with everything. More. (laughs) Very much. That's pretty much what it's saying. Everything you've got. And that's what it takes for us to really, really remember God. Because if we're not willing to sacrifice our time, if we're not willing to sacrifice our treasures or our talent, then guess what? We will forget God. We will will go through the motions of life. 
and everything that we have to do. And God will be something we live, leave, you know, like Sundays, one-seventh of our lives. You know what's interesting about this, even as I think about it? It's like love itself, even as it correlates with sacrifice, it also means that the greatest act of love that we can ever do is the greatest sacrifice. And we have that. We've seen that. We've witnessed that. We've seen that through Jesus. The greatest sacrifice we could ever have witnessed was Jesus giving up of all of himself, all of his life. Why? So that we can be reconciled to God. Jesus did that for us. So we ourselves, we can say, yes, I can remember God because of who he is, also because of what he's done. The greatest sacrifice, as we see in Christ Jesus, because we have seen it, because we have witnesses, we can say the greatest love, the greatest Sacrifice is in Jesus. And I can remember God because of who he is and what he has done. So even as the worship team comes, and I want to challenge you. I want to invite you even to this moment because we're about to take communion. It's like, what in your life are you holding back from God? What is it? Is it your time? Is it your, is it your treasure? Is it your job? What is that thing that you're holding back? And even as we take the communion today, as we turn to Jesus and we say, Jesus, you have given your life for us. You, because of what you have done, I want to remember you. I want to turn to you. So there might be something in your life, even now, presently, that you're thinking, I need to turn to God. I don't know what that is for you. Again, it could be a relationship. It could be something in your life that is that 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 you might be going through. Maybe a current situation that you feel just helpless. I don't know what it is. But even as we turn to Jesus. And as we physically remember God in, the, in, in our communion today, let's turn that to God and trust and believe that he's able to help us, to keep us, and even to love us. Let's pray.